The quintessential image of a medieval knight is a gracious, horse-mounted warrior clad in shining plate armor. It cannot be denied that this idol is spectacular, but it's unrealistic and implies the use of plate armor as the most common form of defense clothing in the Middle Ages. This is, in fact, untrue. Throughout the medieval period, especially the early Middle Ages, chainmail was the best, most practical armor available. The term chainmail only came into use in the 1800s, after Sir Walter Scott coined the name in his 1812 book, The Fortunes of Nigel. During medieval times, it was simply referred to by the material it was made from, mail. Chainmail armor has existed in Europe since at least 300 BC, and it is believed that the Celts of Northwest Europe, specifically Britain, first started using shirts of interlocked metal rings as defensive clothing for combat. This armor was also used by Germanic Fodorardi in the Roman army for a substantial period. The Romans also produced a type of plate armor called Lorica Segmentata, but plate armor was abandoned for centuries after the fall of the Western Roman Empire. At the Museum of Denmark, there is the oldest preserved chainmail shirt in Northern Europe, and it weighs just eight kilograms, a far lighter load than the plate armor of the late Middle Ages. Chainmail was invented based on ancient scale armor, which was often uncomfortable and restricted mobility. Brass and iron were frequently used in the production of chainmail, but steel quickly became the most popular material by far. It was more flexible, stronger, and easier to work with. While scale armor was easier to make, chainmail armor offered a more fluid protective layer. It made long sword slices close to impossible, as well as allowing foot soldiers to spend more time on the field facing multiple opponents. In a heated early medieval battle, this simple metal vest could be a literal lifesaver. Despite its protective capabilities against sword slashes, chainmail was still partially vulnerable to stabs, especially in areas where the metal rings were badly linked. A poorly made chainmail shirt could mean death for a soldier in an intense combat situation. Additionally, chainmail did very little to protect its wearer against blunt impacts. To improve protection against powerful blunt blows delivered by clubs or the back of axes, a padded layer called a gambeson or akatin was worn beneath the mail. This thick layer would absorb a lot of the kinetic energy of a strong smash. Another obvious disadvantage of chainmail was its poor performance against medium and short-ranged arrow strikes. Arrows fired from longbows, which often had enormous draw weights of over 100 pounds, could amass such kinetic energy that they'd easily penetrate the steel vest in the gambeson beneath. When crossbows became popular in Europe during the High and Late Middle Ages, chainmail was nearly useless against bolts traveling with immense power. This is one of many reasons why plate armor became popular in later medieval times. However, in the early Middle Ages, the first knights usually wore a leather or cloth tunic over which metal scales or rings were laid. At first, chainmail only covered the torso, but it was gradually extended to shield the legs, arms and hands, and hoods were added later. The term given to a chainmail shirt stretching knee length was a hauberk, while a mid-thigh length shirt was a halberdian, and a burney measured waist length. In the 12th century, the height of medieval times, chainmail coifs came into common use, particularly due to combat in the Middle East. While in Scandinavia, only the most elite Norse military leaders wore chainmail. Chainmail rings were either made by stamping circular shapes out of thin sheets of iron, or by cutting steel into wire and then bending cut-off sections to bring the ends together. 
Steel wire was produced by shaping a rod in the forgery and stretching it out through several wooden holes before slicing it into equal lengths. Once the wire sections were bent into their circular shapes, they would be hammered flat. Ring sizes and chainmail shirts varied greatly, the smallest being about 5 millimeters in diameter from a find at Hedegaard. Compared to the 12.5 millimeter diameter of chainmail found at Thorsberg, modern research into chainmail manufacturing techniques suggest that after producing the steel wire, basic tools like pliers and hammers were used to bend the rings into place and connect up the mesh. Even though connecting the chainmail rings was a painstakingly slow process, the weaves were relatively simple, and a blacksmith did not need extraordinary training to achieve a chainmail vest. Guild books from medieval Germany indicate that a blacksmith would take on average six months to finish making a shirt of mail, which is why only the nobility could afford chainmail armor. Chainmail was used for an exceptionally long time and was the dominant form of versatile full-body armor for almost the entire Middle Ages. It was most necessary, however, during the 5th and 6th centuries, during which time the mythological King Arthur came to rule over the legendary Kingdom of Camelot and huge swaths of Western Europe. On the topic of King Arthur, I'd like to play you an extract from our new Medieval Extras premium project, Finding King Arthur, the Once and Future King. Here is a story of chivalry and bravery, pillage and murder, revenge and treachery, love, betrayal, and greatness. It is the brutal, twisted, and romantic tale of Britain's last defiant bastion of civilization, standing lonesome in the face of inevitable terror and destruction. As an enforcer of peace and morality, the heroic Arthur valiantly defended the liberty of the British people against all odds. Through legend and folklore, King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table live on as though they never truly left us. Hailed as the bravest, most admirable warrior of all time, King Arthur established a golden, chivalric standard which lived on for centuries. Yet he was forced to watch in horror as everything he had achieved was ripped away from him and his best friend hung him out to dry. His epic has survived through the storms of history, inspiring whoever hears his name. Finding King Arthur is a dramatic premium episode narrating the incredible folklore of Britain's most chivalrous warrior king and we had an awesome time producing it. If you want to listen to Finding King Arthur, the once and future king, and we really think you should, it's a fantastic modern interpretation, and Bill Odman does a great narration, then you should visit MedievalExtras.com to catch this premium content at an affordable access fee of just $2, with proceeds being invested into the free podcast. We're sure you'll enjoy it, and it's a single payment for a lifetime access. This is not an episode which you can find on public podcast catalog, so get it while you can by following the link in this episode's description. That's all from us today, and thanks for listening to Medieval.